The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. After 150 years of scholarship, untold stories of the Civil War era aren't easy to find. Two areas still mostly shrouded in mystery are the wartime activities of people who lacked the education to leave behind written records, like the enslaved people, and those who made it a professional point not to leave any written records, like spies. We'll find out how author David S. Soselski broke through both barriers to write about a remarkable spy, former slave, and political leader in his book, The Fire of Freedom, Abraham Galloway and the Slaves' Civil War. That's today on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu Edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to the show. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this Wednesday evening in November 2013 from the third floor of the Brewster Building, the uh, 
the history building on the campus of East Carolina University. Well, we share it with lots of other disciplines. We have one corner of the Brewster building, but we do not speak for the University of North Carolina or its component universities or anybody but ourselves, and our guest, I'm sure, will do the same tonight, speaking just for himself. Legality is out of the way. It's been another uh, standard week as things go these days in uh, higher education. Uh, It's homecoming week. Students are building floats and preparing for a uh, successful football game this weekend. There is plenty of fresh hell on the budget side of things. I had to tell two temporary faculty they would not be back uh, for the spring term because our funding has been cut further. Uh, but we're going to put all that aside tonight and just talk history as we always do here on Civil War Talk Radio. We'll be talking about it again next week and the week after that. Uh, we've got some good shows coming up. Tom Vossler next week has co-written a book with uh, Carol Reardon of Penn State, a guide to the Gettysburg battlefield. There are lots of those, but this one looks particularly interesting. Uh, The following week, Frank Varney will be talking about Grant and Rosecrans, uh, General Grant and his version of history that is unfair, uh, this author says to General Rosecrans. We'll find out how. Eric Jacobson from the Franklin Battlefield in Tennessee joins us on December 4th. And then uh, finishing the fall semester, we have James Oakes, uh, author of Freedom National, a relatively new book on the process of emancipation that has gotten a, a certain amount of press and looks very interesting as well. So lots going on. You can follow it, as always, at www.impedimentsofwar.org. That's the Civil War Talk Radio Companion website. You can go there and buy the books of the authors we talk to or whatever it is our guests produce uh, through clicking on the Amazon links there. And when you do that, uh, a few pennies go to the website itself and help keep the the lights on and keep things going. So please do support uh, impedimentsofwar.org. There's also a... uh, PayPal donation button there, which you are welcome to use to send funds directly to me uh, for my personal use, not tax deductible, not a charitable donation, not a political donation, just a self-indulgent donation that I will use to buy more books to read for the show, uh, or as I've threatened many times, just to you know buy whiskey or something to recover from the budget cuts that we are enduring here, whatever it is. Uh, once you give it to me, it's my money. But still, we, we welcome those donations. But enough uh, business talk. Let's get to the 19th century and, and step back a few hundred uh, or 150 years and talk with our guest tonight. Uh, historian David S. Soselsky uh, is the author, uh, most famously, of the Waterman's Song, Slavery and Freedom in Maritime North Carolina, here at ECU, where we have a Maritime Studies program, I think everybody uh, in the world has read that book. But now for Civil War era specifically, he has a new book, The Fire of Freedom, Abraham Galloway and the Slaves' Civil War. And we'll learn more about it tonight. Uh, Dr. Soselsky, are you there? I am. It's nice to uh, be with you this evening, Jerry. I'm a big well, fan of the show, and I might have been drinking whiskey in Brewster, uh, building ten years ago, when I uh, I held the uh, uh, Witcher 
uh, I think the Wichert Distinguished Chair in the Humanities at East Carolina, um, 2000, 2001, sometime back then. So I, I miss Greenville, and uh, it's nice to hear uh, you coming from Greenville. Well, it, it, it's good to be talking with you. I don't think I've – somehow you and I have not met uh, in spite of being in proximity. I came here in 2003, so when you held the Wichard Chair, which is a yeah. visit chair uh, for distinguished scholars to come and spend a year here, uh, you were here before I was. Uh, I was. You, I I'm, from, like I'm from Eastern North Carolina, and, and it, was, it was refreshing and intellectually exciting to be with so many you – know, both undergraduate and graduate students who who were from Eastern North Carolina, I was I was able to get them, send them home to talk to their mamas and their granddaddies, and you know immediately start doing kind of original history that um, was was close to home for them. So thank thank you for having me on the show. Well, d- delighted to have you. It is a really it's a fascinating part of the country. I'm not from here. I'm from Michigan originally, and every month I find out something new uh, about the. The history of the area, its connection uh, to the Civil War one month, or the, uh, the mm-hmm. we had the 300th anniversary of the Tuscarora War uh, yeah. last the, well this year actually, uh, and mm-hmm. the, the the descendants of the, the Tuscarora built a monument uh, on the battlefield at Snow Hill. There's just always something uh, going on of, of great interest here. So. Yeah. I'm from the area, and I still learn something new every every week. So, um, it, 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 to me, it's very exciting and and still, um, you know, fertile but but underplowed. Uh, uh, I, I think there's still a lot of great history and a lot of great stories will, will still come out of the region. I I, I can't uh, I wouldn't want to bet against that uh, for, for sure. Well, this is one of those great stories. Abraham Galloway is not a figure before the publication of your book that most people, even most people interested in the Civil War would be familiar with, but he has, uh, as I was reading it, I thought, okay, this is the Forrest Gump of the Civil War. This guy (laughs) was just everywhere. Uh, How did you come across him initially? Um, Well, I I should say, I I think before I came across him, there might have been a half dozen people in the country. Um, mostly, mostly scholars of Reconstruction that that really would have known who he was. So I I, I was um, I wasn't familiar with him either. But all of my work in different ways has been about um, Eastern North Carolina. And when I was writing the Waterman song, uh, I kept as I was plowing through the kind of documentary sources and old newspapers and war records that the likes of you and me use for for our historical research. I kept encountering these extraordinary stories about this figure Abraham Galloway that I'd never heard of. They were they were um, uh, he you know 500 miles behind enemy lines as a spy, um, uh, threatening the uh, special emissary of the uh, abolitionist governor of, of Massachusetts with a revolver at his head. Um, Going behind enemy lines and, and rescuing his mother from slavery uh, during the war, and, and on and on and on. And they were so unlike what I had really, what I had been taught about, um, uh, what I knew about the Civil War, what I knew about the history of slavery. That at first I really didn't know what to make of him. Um, 
and I was working on the Waterman song. I, I, I tell my students sometimes that I, I hate to show off my um, uh, my research methods, but I really I, I created a, fo- a Manila folder <laughs> that I just called Weird Galloway Stories. And every time I ran across a document, a diary, whatever else, I just copied the document and put it in there. And by the time I had finished the Waterman song, that you know it, it was probably four inches thick. And wow. it, it was at that point that I began doing the kind of, you know, asking the basic questions. At that point, I had really just found things and, and filed them away. At that point, I started doing the most, ba- you know, the most basic things, you know, looking at census reports, the basic, you know, uh, war records and all that kind of pension records, that sort of thing. Um, and he's a very, um, as you know from reading the book, he's a... Uh, um, he was in any age. He would have been an extraordinary figure. So he he really leaps off um, uh, the page. You know, when when I look at these documents, as um, a uh, larger than life um, uh, figure that that really once once you start seeing him, you you it's it, it's hard to forget about him. Well, you know, if we start at the beginning, he was born into slavery. Uh, to uh, an African mother and a, a Euro-American father, but doesn't stay there long. His, his escape is, is the first of many, uh, if I remember my, my high school English, I believe picaresque adventures is the uh, yeah. uh, the right word. Uh, how, how, does, yeah. how did he do that? He's, uh, he's born in uh, a, a little fishing and piloting village down below at the mouth of the Cape Fear River in 1837, and and he's eventually apprenticed as a brick mason, becomes a, a master brick mason as a as a young man, you know, when he's 16, 17 years old. But he escapes from Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, in 1857 when he he and a companion um, uh, uh, arranged a. a uh, clandestine passage aboard a uh, sailing vessel that's headed to Philadelphia. And uh, a lot of slaves did that. It, it, in eastern North Carolina, even in much of Piedmont, North Carolina, th- there wasn't a whole lot of this idea of slaves escaping sort of 10 miles a day in the back of a cart headed due north. If you were in Raleigh, North Carolina, or if you were in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and you, and you were trying to escape, you, you wanted to head east. Water was freedom. And it was a, and it was a, it wasn't easy, but it was a, it was a, um, easier because in some ways it was a three-step process. Get on a river, head east. When you get to a port, uh, uh, meld into the African American community there, which included a lot of sailors and watermen and pilots. And then through these internecine networks that slaves and some, some white people had, uh, put together, you make arrangements with with uh, uh, sailors or captains aboard vessels, some of whom, uh, which is what Galloway did, some of them were acting out of anti-slavery convictions. Um, frankly, I suspect more were acting out of uh, pecuniary. Uh, awesome. uh, they were accepting bribes uh, in order to hide slaves. And uh, Galloway had a, uh, escaping out of Wil- Wilmington, came with some extra difficulties. It, it was Wilmington was one of the southern ports where it was a law that every vessel 
every northern, every vessel that came through Wilmington Harbor headed north had to be fumigated. It had to be fumigated to drive, you know, any any hidden slaves up onto the decks. So they would they would put a pot of turpentine dross, uh, light it, close all the hatches, and try to and drive the slaves in, into daylight. And Wilmington, in fact, it had to be done twice because Wilmington is 20 miles from the sea on, on a river, the Cape Fear River. So it, it, by law, it was supposed to be done in Wilmington, and then as the vessel reached the uh, where the where the river enters the ocean, it was by law it was supposed to be fumigated again. So he, they they devised this very intricate system of breathing through hog bladders and soaking themselves in, uh, covering themselves in oilcloth and uh, with the idea of surviving the the fumigation. And in the end, uh, they they were spared. It turned it, it turned out that um, uh, for reasons that we don't know that their vessel wasn't fumigated, and that I I would expect that that was because of, of some kind of a bribe or some kind of other intervention to keep that from happening. So, so he escaped, they, uh, that, yeah, that vessel yeah. goes to Philadelphia, and, and from and from there, uh, he, he he makes it all the way to Canada. Well, it, it was a, a cliffhanger to, to start the book, and there are more to follow. We're going to take a short break now. I uh, have a few uh, public service or commercials played and come back. With more, uh, with our guest today, David Soselsky, author of The Fire of Freedom, Abraham Galloway and the Slaves of Civil War. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking today with David Zaselsky. We're talking about the remarkable story of Abraham Galloway portrayed in David's new book, The Fire of Freedom. Uh, in our first segment, we discussed how uh, we just finished up with how Galloway escaped from slavery in 1857 from the Confederate or from the North Carolina port of Wilmington. Uh, and even had there been no civil war, we might be having this conversation because uh, Galloway immediately gets involved in some very deep anti-slavery activity. Uh, did, he does. Did, he does. Could you foresee uh, him getting? Could, could there have been a rebellion in Haiti? That would have been a doozy. Um, among the things, he, Galloway immediately uh, gets together with kind of the, the darkest, most um, militant, and and covert parts of the anti-slavery movement in Canada and the United States. So he's he's working with the John Brown crowd. Uh, he's working with all black groups that, that work out of Canada but go back across into Confederate lines to rescue slaves. And one of the things he's doing just before the Civil War in, in, at, the, at around Christmas time, 1860, um, Galloway joins some of the survivors of the John Brown uh, uh, raid on Harper's Ferry to launch what they called, uh, this is a quote, of, of a second John Brown. And this time, the uh, because they were, they were, it's a little counterintuitive, but they were completely happy with the way that Harper's Ferry had gone down. Um, uh, John Brown may have thought that he had a chance to start a slave insurrection, but the money people behind John Brown, the most pragmatic ones, um, never believed that he could do that. And they were still entirely supportive of, of the raid on Harper's Ferry as a political uh, gesture, as an as a act of, really an act of terrorism uh, that, that would help drive the United States toward a war uh, to abolish slavery. And they believed that any price in the short term was was worth paying. Any any sin worth committing uh, for the greater good of ending slavery. And they they Galloway is not one of the leaders of of that crowd, but he is he's one of their uh, most important agents. And he's sent to Haiti to help um, launch a raid that would have been directed somewhere in the deep south, Louisiana or Mississippi. And you can imagine what that would have, I mean, the, the, some of them, some of the people involved might have actually thought that they had a chance to 
land on the shores of you know Louisiana or something and spark a, a giant slave insurrection that would you know destroy the Confederacy. But um, but that wasn't um, the, the, the idea was that it was a it, it would have been another uh, political um, gesture to, to to drive the United States again into a war for slavery. And Galloway is in Haiti for almost. Uh, uh, three months, and um, at, at that point, he's uh, as as war actually starts, just before the war starts, uh, he's called um, uh, to uh, take a more active part in in that war, and and the the Haitian plot is for him at least at that point is is aborted. Well, if you look at 1861, if, if you ask a Civil War person knowledgeable about the war, what's the most significant step toward emancipation, most people would probably say the uh, the establishment of, of the contraband status for runaways when uh, the, the runaways show sure. up at Fort Monroe. And uh, Galloway is there. Or at least he he's is. with Butler. Uh, how, uh, how does he get he there is. and what's he doing? Well, he is sent, he is recruited by a small part of the Union Army's leadership. Uh, anti-slavery men political leaders and and officers um, from Massachusetts um, most to, to serve as a union spy and and to infiltrate the Confederacy even before the war starts so so Galloway is south before the before Fort Sumter and um, uh, and of course most of the Union command would not have at that point, would not have rec- recognized the potential value of a sl- of, of a former slave because of their own prejudices. Probably would not have been very open to it, and would not certainly not have wanted to work with somebody who had Abraham Galloway's history as as a radical. And and, and but a small group of them were, including um, Governor John Andrew of Massachusetts and. Um, and Galloway ends up being attached to, to, to Butler's, uh, uh, he, he reports directly to Butler at that part of, of, of the war. So just as, 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 as Butler takes command at, at Fortress Monroe and as the first slaves in the South begin to escape into his lines and he has to create a, a lacking direction from Lincoln, he has to, um, Jury rig in some ways a, a a a policy on how to deal with with the slaves, um, and so Galloway is there for that, and and we don't know whether he had an he and and uh, the small group of other uh, uh, African American leaders there with him had direct influence on it, but um, Butler at that time had was was not a hardcore abolitionist and was not had very little experience with African-Americans or African-American political issues. And overall, he, whatever you can, might say about Butler overall in the war, he handles that situation quite deftly. And Galloway and his crowd, the, the African-American political activists from the South, um, rem- remain completely devoted to, to, to Butler throughout, throughout the war. And in fact, when, when Butler is re, uh, he's, you know, he's promoted to major general and he eventually Goes to the uh, uh, serve in the Gulf. Galloway goes with him there, and, and uh, Galloway serves as a spy in the Deep South 
Um, he's eventually captured. We know very little about the, the details of that story, but he's eventually captured in Vicksburg uh, sometime in mid-1862, escapes, and ends up coming all, all the way back to the East, East Coast. Yeah, he just shows up again in New Bern, and uh, it's like, okay, where, where have you been? No, I can't tell you. And uh, it, 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 yeah, again, it if like it were a movie, they're, they're, you'd say, come on. I know, I know, I know. Um, you know, following Galloway was a little dizzying, you know. Um, uh, you know, he was illiterate, as you mentioned in your in your introduction. He was... A, uh, uh, involved in these all these dark plots, so he was trying not to leave a trail. Then he becomes a spy again. He's trying not to leave a trail. It was by far the uh, the most challenging um, uh, historical sleuthing that I've ever done, and I'm very happy with what I did learn. Though of course there's still things that I'd love to learn. Um, I'd love to learn, for example, how how he got out. I mean, he's. Yeah, how, 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 did, how did he get out of Vicksburg? Um, uh, how did he get all the way back to the East Coast? Um, but it's an important moment, and we can, we can infer things, some of the experiences he had there, because I, we know, we know the, the regiments to which he was attached as a spy when he was in Mississippi, and we know a lot about what they went through. And by the time Galloway gets back to North Carolina and, and the East Coast, he has a new outlook on on the Union Army and on Lincoln's policies as well, and and he is not a happy camper. You know, he's he's um, uh, the the what happens in Mississippi is um, this in some ways is a giant sellout of of many runaway slaves. The the, the Butler's orders in the Deep South were not to let not to allow. Uh, fugitive slaves, contraband into his, into his lines. Uh, the Union command, including Lincoln, were afraid that uh, the lo- far larger numbers of slaves in the Deep South would overwhelm uh, Union troops down there. That it would create logistical nightmare. And at that point, Lincoln still had this notion that 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 if he if he handled even the Deep South with kid gloves. Um, that he that the recon, the reconstruction of the deep south would go easier. That he he was afraid to alienate southern whites in the deep south um, too much. So uh, uh, Galloway sees sees um, some horrible atrocities occur in that area because of those policies. And by the time he gets back to the east coast, um, he's always committed to destroying the Confederacy, but from then on, in some ways, you know, he, he, he's, he's fighting the Confederacy with one arm, and, and he's fighting the Union, the Union and the Union Army with the other. Well, he's going to fight on his own terms at that point. That's very clear. Uh, you mentioned uh, early on how he ends up interacting with uh, the Massachusetts Governor uh, Andrews' emissary, uh, in New Bern here in, in 1862 and into 63, when uh, when the Union forces in Eastern North Carolina figure they can recruit African Americans, uh, yeah. you have the fascinating story where they basically put out the sign, "Okay, now sign up," and nobody shows up, and word gets out. You have to go through this Galloway fellow first, right? Uh, right. So, so how how does that work out? 
Well, by the time that happened, uh, one, you know, the, the, uh, as, as you know, but some of your listeners may not, um, very early in the war, in one of the first Union engagements, the, the, a sliver of the North Carolina coast is captured by the Union Army and Navy. Just a sliver, four or five ports, and, and you know, uh, and that's all. And for the rest of the war, that little sliver of the North Carolina coast stays in Union hands while the rest of the state remains in the Confederacy. And as a consequence, you know, hundreds and then thousands and then more than 10,000 slaves from other parts of eastern North Carolina escape and begin moving into that territory. And what happens there is this kind of political revival. They organize churches and schools. They organize an independent black militia that's entirely just theirs. They organize, uh, eventually organize civil rights groups there. It's kind of a, it's a renaissance. It's, it's part homecoming. It's part uh, religious revival, and it's all happening in there, and, and that becomes the center of Galloway's world. He, he becomes the most dynamic and most important leader in that, in that area. And by the time that Governor Andrews of, Andrew of Massachusetts sends um, white officers to organize a reg, uh, one of the first, what would have, what was going to be one of the first regiments, Union regiments of uh, slaves from the South, to fight in the army. By the time that that happens, he sent, uh, he also sends this gentleman Edward Tinsley, sort of his special emissary, uh, sort of a, a diplomat type. By the time that happens, that sliver of the North Carolina coast has been occupied by the Union Army for a year, and the former slaves who are in it, including Galloway, are uh, are deeply disillusioned by the racist conduct of the Union Army towards the contrabands towards the, the, the former slaves, and they're also growing uh, with President Lincoln, despite the Emancipation Proclamation, because Lincoln has failed. Uh, he, Lincoln now wants them to serve, to fight, possibly to die in the in the Union Army, but he's not offering United States citizenship. He's not offering the right to vote or or any political rights whatsoever. So. Um, by the time this attempt to recruit African Americans in the South to fight in the Union Army occurs, they're politically organized. They're 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 surprisingly um, sophisticated. While I was reading the while I was researching the book, I found uh, African American men in Galloway's inner circle who had been subscribing to the New York Tribune and the equivalent of the Congressional Record while they were still slaves. So Galloway was illiterate, but he was surrounded by, you know, these extremely cultivated uh, and and politically sophisticated men and women. So they're not they're not just happy to join the Union Army anymore, which is sort of what I I, I had always thought that was the story. Like the, the slaves were just so happy that, you know, it, so now they they want to negotiate the terms. And 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 what happens in that scene with the with the revolvers is that Galloway. And his lieutenants are really demanding that that, that if, if you want us, this is what you have to do. You have to you have to educate our children. You have to promise us this. You have to promise us that. And then at the end of the night, this is happening at four or five o'clock in the morning in the attic of a former slave woman in Newburn. Galloway demands that he sort of make a personal pledge that he's going to live up to this. Sort of a it's sort of a um, 
we-know-where-you-live moment. And two of his lieutenants hold revolvers to the poor man's head, the emissary from the governor of Massachusetts, and say that this, this, this is something that we expect you to live up to. And uh, it's a very powerful moment. It was one of those, uh, my, you know, quote-unquote weird Galloway moments when I, when I first began reading accounts describing it, because it's so unlike what I had what I knew about the Civil War, and certainly the Civil War in North Carolina, that, that these people were, um, uh, the very next, four, I should say, four or five days later, Galloway and his lieutenants leave, uh, lead approximately 4,000 African Americans into the town's lines. They were organized, they had a command structure, they, they had ways of communicating across long distances, they were politically sophisticated, and they weren't just happy to be in the Union Army, they, 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 they were determined to destroy the Confederacy, but um, they knew they, that they were the going Union... to be partners. Exactly, yeah. that they were allied, allied with the Union mm-hmm. Army, but that didn't mean that they they were constantly having to struggle with with the Union Army. And and as you know from reading the book, uh, one of the moments, oddest moments that I thought in, in Galloway's story is is when. He basically, he and another African American uh, 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 army guy, um, a, a recruiter, um, basically um, pistol whipped two Union Navy officers uh, for using the N word in Plymouth, North Carolina. This is in the fall of 1863, and because they, they were uh, harassing black, other blacks because they did not want to serve in the Union Navy with blacks, with former slaves. They were, they, a, to, them the, to them, the Civil War was only about uh, preserving the Union and the idea that, that they were actually going to have to, you know, fighting for the end of slavery and equal rights or anything like that was not at all what they were there for. And we're course, going to have to take another short break. I'm going to have to yeah. butt in for just a moment. Uh, sure, sure. And, and we'll come back and pick up on this point. Uh, one of many fascinating moments in the history of Abraham Galloway. We'll hear more about it when we come back in just a minute on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. I'm talking today with David Sosowski, author of The Fire of Freedom, Abraham Galloway, and the Slaves' Civil War. We've been talking about the remarkable story of Abraham Galloway, uh, escapes from slavery in Wilmington, uh, goes to Haiti to organize another John Brown-style raid on the South, comes back to uh, the North when the war begins. He's with Butler at Fort Monroe. He scouts out north, northern, uh, eastern North Carolina for Butler's amphibious attack. He goes to the Mississippi. He's exploring Vicksburg, captured, retired. It goes on and on. But the part where I actually said to myself, okay, this guy really is Forrest Gump, uh, next thing you know, he's in the White House meeting Abraham Lincoln. Uh, how did that yeah. happen? Well, uh, Galloway meets uh, uh, with Lincoln uh, around the 1st of April, 1864. And what's happened is, is um, that uh, uh, the political organizing and, and the political activism that's been happening there in the occupied parts of eastern North Carolina has become, in a way, so successful and has, has really moved the center, like the, the center of African-American political activism in the whole country has moved from the north to eastern North Carolina and a couple other places in the south where similar things are happening at that time, the coast of South Carolina, uh, uh, New Orleans, and, and that part of Louisiana. And... Um, uh, they want that their idea is, is Galloway leads a delegation of four or five African American leaders from Eastern North Carolina to meet with Lincoln to demand the full rights of American citizenship. He wants a commitment that um, uh, Lincoln, after the war, will give uh, African Americans um, a place at the table as 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 real. American citizens, that freedom is, is not enough. And it's a crucial moment for both Lincoln and, and Galloway and his crowd, really, because um, Lincoln, white, white recruitment in the North for the Union Army is way down and, is, and is, is just a trickle at that point. The war is not settled at that point. His, Lincoln's reelection is in doubt. And at the same time, uh, African Americans are starting to be, who, at that point, there's more than 100,000 African Americans serving in the arms, 
uh, forces of the, of the, the North, and there's going to be eventually be 180,000 plus. And they are starting to get disillusioned on some issues as, as well, and particularly they're upset over uh, the uh, Confederate troops uh, massacring black black prisoners of war. And so this, the, Galloway leads this delegation up to the White House. Um, uh, they present a petition and make their demands. Galloway's hard to please. He is, you know, he's 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 not a he's not just happy to be there with Lincoln either. Um, but but um, Lincoln treated them uh, very well, uh, and some of the African American leaders, to me, one of the most moving. It's a small thing, but one of the things that really caught my imagination in in the story is is that some of the African American leaders that went with Galloway to the White House were just so deeply moved and touched that Lincoln allowed them in the in the front door of the White House. That that's all they could talk about. They 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 then tour the North talking about Lincoln. They come back to the South and talk about Lincoln. Galloway continued just to focus on political rights, political rights, political rights, voting rights particularly. But not, some of them just said. You know, he let he let us in the front door, and no white man in the South had ever allowed or would ever allow an African American to come in the front door. And maybe that touched me especially because I grew up in the South at a time when no African American would come in my front door. We lived in a farm, and the the custom was that African Americans went to the back door, and the custom was even that they didn't knock on the back door; they they waited to be seen. That was in the 1960s. Wow. So, so uh, in eastern North Carolina. So here, a hundred years before that, it seemed, in some ways it seems like this very small, insignificant gesture that 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 Lincoln would let them in the front door, and that he would shake their hands and look them directly in the eye. But for three or four of the men that went with African American leaders that went with Galloway. That said it all. At that point, they no longer. They, from that point, they they act almost as if that the promising civil rights or voting rights almost doesn't matter. They said if he they were basically saying if he treats us like that now, then later when he has the chance, he's going to do right by us. Right. Galloway was harder to please. Mm-hmm. Galloway was not not an easy man to be pleased by. You know, um, but. It was a very moving moment, and and in a in a war full of terrible moments and 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 great suffering on both sides, it, it was uh, in some ways this um, uh, moving and and I don't know this moment that promised something good about our humanity. It, it is. Uh, I mean, you describe it that way in the book as a moment that might uh, you know with with everything else that. Uh uh you know was so so dreadful uh, in the war that it does give some hope for the future uh turning back to the harder side of war those those 4000 men who Galloway led into New Bern become uh General Edward Wild's African Brigade uh, as they are sometimes called and they they uh, fight for their they're, they're both, uh, it, it, it's it's a it, the uh, intensity of the war uh, in eastern North Carolina goes up a notch at that point. It does. Um, 
as you know, earlier in the war, prisoner exchanges were very, you know, were often very gentlemanly. You know, both Confederate leaders and Union leaders went out of their often went out of their way to um, be as as uh, open-handed and and you know, leaving time to clear the battlefield of wounded and um, uh, making it a priority to a. Yes, exactly. And both sides were, you know, in some ways showed their best self at that point. But once African Americans are fighting in the Union Army, that that changes. Um, one of the Confederate leaders, um, Seden, Seden, is that a, is that how you say it, Jerry? Yeah, uh, Seden, I, I, I think, I, Secretary I, of War. I, I be, yeah, I believe it says that at one point he he writes a letter that says, you know what. Once they did that, he, he, he called it so barbaric, the idea that, that, that they would, that the North would have the former slaves fighting and, and releasing, he, he says, you know, there's sort of barbaric urges, you know, um, then, then all, all, all the, he says all the common usages of war are, are uh, um, are out the window at that point. Mm-hmm. And it, it brings out not just the worst of the Confederacy, it brings out the worst in the Union. It 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 it, it, it becomes a very ugly time and, and African American soldiers at that point understand. it's not always true, but they assume that if they're captured, uh, that they will be killed. And 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 it does often happen. Let me and, skip ahead to the, the end of the yeah. war briefly because we're running sure. short on time. Sure. Um Galloway's war continues after Appomattox. Uh, he, or at least his leadership of, of African Americans in North Carolina continues, uh, uh, and and literally the fighting does as well. Uh, give us a two minute uh, sure thoughts sure. On, on how he does after the war. Yeah, from start to finish, Galloway was fighting. I mean, you know, the, the New York Times said that he laughed loud and often, and and he was famous for his swagger and good humor. But he was fighting from day one to the end. And when the war ends, he he's organizing. Uh, he uh, calls the state's first free people's convention, gathering up slaves to determine their futures. First in New Bern, then a lot. He calls it the the, and, and, uh, the larger one, the statewide one in Raleigh. Um, he is, uh, or he's eventually, uh, uh, elected the head of a black militia that fights the Ku Klux Klan down in, in Wilmington. Uh, it's a, um, uh, you know, they're f- literally fighting for their survival during Reconstruction. And, um, Galloway moves through that period with, uh, swagger and his pistols. He's, he was famous for wearing his two pistols in his belt throughout that time. There's at least two assassination attempts on his life. He elected our first, uh, in the first group of three African American state senators in North Carolina in 1868, and he's reelected in 1870. And um, where he's he's the most one of the three or four most important and powerful African American legislators at that point. And he dies in 1870, uh, apparently but not surely of natural causes. Uh, at that time, he's 33 years old. Um, uh, the state's largest newspaper said that his funeral was the largest in the state's history up, up to that point. Um, 
more than 6,000 people at the funeral. And he lived this brilliant, you know, uh, you know, like uh, lightning in the summer sky kind of life. And um, to me, he really was one of these um, great freedom fighters. In, in any any time or era, he would have been um, fighting it. I, I, if it hadn't been against slavery, it would have been against, you know, um, you know who knows what in any time. But... Um, He's not. He was probably not the kind of guy that you wanted to uh, negotiate a compromise between the uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats in, in our legislature these days. Yeah, no. Um, uh, um, on the other hand, when the fighting starts, you, he was probably the kind of guy that you wanted to make. You know, you wanted to follow him in, and um, it, it was a great privilege to, to have the chance to to um, uh, get to know him through, through the writing the book. Well, readers uh, will have the same chance, the same privilege to get to know uh, Abraham Galloway uh, through this book, The Fire of Freedom, Abraham Galloway and the Slaves' Civil War. It is, uh, uh, and listeners, I mean, you've heard about it for the last hour, but there's there's more than we had time to talk about. Uh, it is really a remarkable story, and uh, I do occasionally get sent copies of uh, uh Historical fiction that folks have written that they would like to have talked about on the show. And I, 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 I appreciate it, but there's so much nonfiction that's hard to believe that that there's no time to do anything else. And this this trumps anything a novelist would come up with. Uh, it. Do you have movie rights for this? It just suddenly occurred to me that this ought to be a film. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. Um, get your agent on uh, that. Uh, pe- pe- people have been approaching my agent, but uh, I don't know anything about that world. And, and she says that, that uh, in a nutshell, so far they don't have game, <laughs> she says. Yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, we'll see. Somebody, somebody will read it deserves, one day. Yeah, it, it yeah. deserves it, the story. Deserves it. It's a fascinating story. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, it was a treat to read this book and uh, a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Jerry. Next time I'm in Greenville, I'm going to look you up. That that would be great. And listeners, thank you as always for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.